welcome back to the United Pubcast, joined again by Larry to discuss the huge win away at Southampton. But before we do that, Larry, I do need to check on you after the Supporters Club game. How have you recovered from our charity match in plus 40 degree heat on Saturday? That's far more important than the Man United match. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Tom. Um, look, as you saw, mate, I didn't I didn't play very well. I barely played at all. So I'm struggling. But uh, no, I think I'm fully recovered now. You, on the other hand, fantastic. A good result. 6-3 and bending free kicks like Beckham, eh? Well, just on your performance there, my, my main memory is, I remember I played your through ball down the line and the ball went out, whether that was a bad pass by, my, by myself or miscontrol by you, I'm not quite sure. But then I turned around, you had subbed yourself off. Next time I saw you was 20 minutes later in the change room, face down with ice on the back of your head. I didn't know if I was on the verge of calling an ambulance or not. Yeah, well, to defend myself, I actually didn't get to your ball. So I'm going to say it was a bad pass by you. Um, But yes, I was face down. Mate, it was 40 degrees. Can you imagine any Premier League player having to go through what we did? In all honesty, like 40 degrees Celsius heat. It was not a game. It was not the weather for a game of football. Well, it is. Look, a lot of our listeners are in Australia, but obviously we do have listeners over in England and in Ireland. And it is a unique type of condition of playing in 40 degree heat, something they obviously wouldn't be used to and probably never experienced in their life. But you've got so many different conditions to deal with. The main thing I struggled with was your feet felt like they were on fire because we played on a synthetic pitch and the, it just feels like you're burning through, like, through the soles of your feet. Every time you inhale, it's like you're in a sauna. But um, credit to all the players um, from both teams. The match was played in very good spirits and, as I said, plenty of goals. Um, but some of our listeners also played. One of my highlights, that first 20 minutes, we played the game in quarters, obviously, due to the heat. But Vin was throwing back to old Edgar David style, played the first quarter in sunglasses. Oh, yeah, Vin. Quite the throwback. Uh, cool cat he was. But in all honesty, um, I think we've got some talented footballers. I think we've got Matt Fergal, fantastic up front. I think he can put in a put in a little call out to Manchester United, maybe a spot on the bench uh, to replace a Galo. Um, I think he could. Um, well, what, how many did he score? Yeah, four four goals? goals and one was an one was an absolute cracker. One was a volley from must have been twenty five thirty yards. Hit it like a rocket. But um, also another listener and member of Sports Club, Rob. He was came just as support. He was on the sideline watching, which was great to see. Then ten minutes ago, someone threw him a pair of boots, and he came on and had a little cameo. Went into a fifty-fifty challenge. We played a nice little one-two down the wing, and um, yeah, it is good. It is for charity, which we have um, fortunately raised about thirteen hundred dollars for, which is fantastic. But when you are playing and you sort of have that badge on your chest. Um, almost charity does go out the window and it does become a real sort of Manchester derby. So it was um, a very good feeling to get the win, especially in those trying conditions. So um, stay tuned for our next game, hopefully in a few months. But we will move on to, obviously, the main game against Southampton. And, well, what a roller coaster of emotions. This was, I would say, vintage United in regards to the performance. But in, to- in terms of the story of following Manchester United, this was vintage United, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Um, scoring a goal in Fergie time, first half quite sluggish, but obviously look, we'll get into it. But yeah, everything about the result was vintage Manchester United. And as a football fan, and you've heard the critics around, you know, you're looking at how Tottenham are going now, and I've heard more recently to say, oh, how could we have let Mourinho go? He was right, etc. But there is a style and a swagger when Manchester United wins it late. And that didn't happen often under the predecessors of Solskjaer. So, yeah, vintage United, I loved it. There's something special about United when we're 2-0 down. 
uh, I, I'm not sure what it is, but when we go 2-0 down, there is always something there. There's always a feeling thing. We score in the next 10, 15 minutes here, we're going to win this game. And we'll, get, we'll definitely get into Cavani's performance in a little bit. But as soon as Cavani was on the pitch, you could sense something was going to happen. And as I said, like, absolutely vintage United, and there is nothing better than watching United chase down a lead. And we will get into the performance, but we'll just start on the team selection of the start in 11, as we always do. Now, the interesting one here was that Martial was um, out, sort of the news we have that he was out ill. So it wasn't an injury, it was just the night before. Do you think, well, obviously it changed plans, I think Martial was definitely going to start. But the lineup in terms of four four two, do you think Solskjaer this is something he had in mind, or do you think this was just off the, off the cuff thing? Geez, I have no Martial now. I don't have that plan. What do I do? I'll just get these players in where I can. Just your thoughts on how he adapted? Yeah, interesting one. Um, I definitely didn't see the four four two coming, but um, look, it was good good flexibility by Solskjaer. We've seen it already this season where he's been prepared to do something a little bit different. Uh, I don't recall who it was against, but he threw Pogba on the wing. I believe it was against Arsenal. So he's not shy of trying the different um, or trying to be different. But I look, you can debate whether it was right or wrong. I think we clearly saw in the first half we were getting a little overrun in midfield. Now, whether that was because of the formation or because there was just a change in attitude in the second half is a different thing. But yeah, look, I don't think it's something he will maybe persist with. Um, but I think, look, we got away with it today. So who's to say? Why not? Well, how did you see the four four two? Because a lot of people said, okay, we're playing a diamond. The way I saw it, I didn't really see a diamond. I saw a like a almost an old fashioned Brazilian or South American style four four two, where they played sort of two defensive midfielders and two attacking midfielders almost in in like a square, because you look at pretty much every second Brazilian footballer is a number 10. So you don't want to play your 10 out wide, so they play two number 10s sort of in behind the striker. And I thought that's what we lined up with. Just your thoughts on where Bruno and van der Beek played? Yeah, it was definitely a narrow 4-4-2, not the traditional English 4-4-2 of, you know, wide attacking wingers. I don't really have an issue with the formation per se. I thought where it fell down was you had Rashford and Greenwood up front who traditionally were, you know, they're not they're not natural with their back to goal, um, at least at this stage in their careers. I think Greenwood could definitely get that into his game, but between the two of them, they look to get in behind. And I think that that's the problem when when those are your strengths. And that's why you saw when Cavani came on, he just added that point of difference. He, he has the ability to play with his back to goal and he's comfortable back to goal. It's not just being able to do it. Um, we've seen Martial's able to do it, but when you can do it effectively and link up with the players around you. Whereas I think you saw in the first half between the two of them, things just got quite narrow and it was easy to defend against. Uh, Southampton basically pressed the midfielder, sat back, and then it was just very easy to defend against the runs in behind from both Rashford and Greenwood. Now, this, will, this podcast will result in a very positive podcast. I can't wait to discuss the second half, but I will get my negative out. And obviously we did go 2-0 down. So we will get the so-called negatives out of the way. I have to touch on Fred. Well, everyone knows I've got a love-hate relationship with Fred because when he plays well, he's almost that little fan favourite. He's, he's fantastic at what he does. But I've always said, and I remember saying in that sort of famous or infamous loss away at Newcastle last season that I was done with him. And just in terms of his awareness and intelligence as a footballer, I just thought, I see nothing there. I think, okay, he's good on the ball. He's got a good left foot. He's a tenacious. He can do all that. 
but just his football intelligence, I just always questioned. And today, if Cavani doesn't save us, I'm looking back at his decision to give away that foul on the edge of the box, and I'd almost say it's unforgivable. Now, of course, it's forgivable because we go on to win the game, and all credit to Fred. I think I thought he was fantastic in the second half. But that decision to foul that player on the edge of the box, I, as I said, almost unforgivable. I thought five seconds before he did it, me and millions of people around the world will say, no foul, no foul, no foul, don't foul him. What does Fred go and do? Go and foul him. And what I mean about awareness there isn't so much like I've questioned his awareness on the pitch before in terms of knowing what, knowing his surroundings, knowing where the defenders are and that part of the awareness. But this type of awareness, I'm talking about the game as a situation. And he has to know. If James Ward-Prowse is on the field and you're on the left-hand side of the box, 20 yards from goal... Given away pointless foul there is pretty much given away a penalty. And that is where I question his awareness. He had no sort of awareness of this, the game itself and who was on the pitch and what the sort of what could potentially happen in a worst-case scenario. And in that position, you do need to be prepared for that. And I don't want to go too hard on him because we have won the game in fantastic fashion, but I was ready to transfer this Fred at half-time when it went 2-0 down. There is such thing as football intelligence. We've spoken about it on this podcast before. And this is where I'd like to think of, say, a Michael Carrick, where the criticism from a lot of fans at the time, particularly early in his Manchester United career, was, oh, he doesn't do anything. But actually, he was so intelligent at football that he protected the back four seamlessly. He kept possession well. You didn't notice him because he was so effective at what he did. If you look at Fred's error here... Like you said, Tom, every United fan screaming at the TV, just don't foul him. Um, and when you bring the player down, and the thing is, there was no threat of a goal. Yeah, Fred was goal side. Prowse would have had to do a lot to even get a shot off. So, look, stupidity there. Um, I'm not going to blame the goalkeeper, De Gea, for the goal going in. I think it was just poor defending. Well, just speaking of that, because my criticism for the goal, obviously, is that Fred, and he sort of did sort of redeem himself with a fantastic second-half performance. But the person who did get the criticism was David De Gea. And I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a fantastic free kick. It went off the inside of the post. Like, you can't get more precision than that. But De Gea came in for a lot of criticism and just... Obviously, you just said you're not going to criticise him for it, but your thoughts on the free kick? I think I thought it was well taken. Like, I, the criticism comes because he got his hand to the goal, but... Like we saw with Bruno midweek in the Champions League, when you put enough power behind a shot, it's not as simple as getting your hand to it. I don't think anyone with with a two-handed stop potentially, but because it's so low, I'm not going to criticise De Gea there. I think that's a very difficult shot to stop. Especially, and if that's Bruno Fernandes on our side whipping that free kick in, we're not even mentioning the goalkeeper's name. We're just saying what a fantastic free kick, but we look at it from our point of view. I don't think everyone needs someone to blame, but there is almost a want to, to sort of try and deflect. But um, just on that, he potentially injured David Day. He obviously did come off at half-time, and Dean Henderson came on for his um, Premier League debut and look, did well, didn't have much to do, but did what he needed to do. Do you think maybe, and obviously we'll have to find out more information about the De Gea injury, but do you think maybe this is what maybe isn't deserved from De Gea because De Gea has performed well, but what a lot of us will call him for at the start of the season, thinking, well... Henderson will only get his chance if De Gea either has a clangor or gets injured, and maybe it's injury now which will give Henderson his chance. Yeah, and unfortunately for De Gea, when you have a class player in your position, that's the difficulty. If De Gea is out for anything more than four weeks, and Henderson performs well and doesn't even like just doesn't make any 
major mistakes that lead to goals. It could be De Gea's spot to lose, unfortunately, but it could be Henderson's one to win. Difficult one. Um, I'd feel I'd feel sorry for the Spaniard if that is what happens, but you have to take your opportunities in football. And Henderson has youth on his on his side, rather, and he's English, and that that's always going to play an advantage. Well, obviously, going into the break two 0 down. As I said at the start of the podcast, two 0 down. There's always a sense in the Cavani substitution. But just your thoughts on Solskjaer. One been okay. The one substitution of De Gea and Henderson, he was forced into. But the sort of proactive nature of the substitution of Cavani, just your thoughts on Solskjaer's sort of actions at halftime? I loved it, Tom, because the criticism of Solskjaer in the past has been he reacts too late when things aren't going well. Whereas there was no hesitance here to throw Cavani on, which was fantastic to see. And it shows that Solskjaer is actually learning on the job. I don't think he's faultless as a manager. So, look, credit where it's due. Um, and obviously, it it worked out deluxe for United. But I thought it was a much-needed substitution, like we've already discussed. I think between Rashford and Greenwood, good footballers, but... There really wasn't a change, a point of difference um, up front. So really enjoyed seeing Cavani up front. Well, Cavani definitely comes on, changes the game, wins the game, involved in all three goals, which we're going, going to get into. But the first five seconds of that substitution were an absolute nightmare. He couldn't do his laces up. Did you see what, what happened there? He was trying to get on the field, and they're saying, get on the field, and he spent the first 20 seconds doing his shoelaces. Yeah, I saw that. It's it's laughable when you think professional footballers can't get it was these basics baffling. right. And who has a spare pair of boots lying around? It reminded me of park football. Like if, your, if your shoe breaks mid-game, you just play on. So the luxury, Tom, I'd love to have a, a change. What is it? A kit man just come on and help me put on my boot? Well, we'll get into the goals now. And Cavani, I'll actually start on the Cavani assist for the Bruno goal. And look, we, I don't think we touch on Bruno every single week. I don't think we need to go into his performance in this one. But again, Bruno, quiet slash wasteful. But again, proves the difference in terms of a very crucial goal. So Bruno does what Bruno will do. But I want to more focus on the Cavani assist because it's his podcast. I think it's a great assist for one reason. It's not his natural game to be sort of on that right wing and sort of whipping in crosses. But the smart thing he does is he doesn't whip in a cross. He gets in a position where nine times out of ten, the right or the what players will do is to try and whip that in between the goalkeeper and the back four into that little bit of an area. But where he is, it's not quite on. It's, it's going to be a, it would have to be a fantastic ball to do that. It would have to be sort of David Beckham-esque. So he doesn't do that. He doesn't force it. And he pretty much just... It looks like a cross, but it's really just a pass into Bruno. Just almost a, a little bit of a lofted pass into Bruno. And I thought it was fantastic. I don't want to call it wing play because he's an he's a old-fashioned number nine. But I thought it was fantastic by Cavani. And again, Bruno, good touch, good finish. And like I said, Bruno will do what Bruno does. And he proves the difference. It was fantastic play from Cavani, and everything you've said is spot on. Not traditional wing play, but what I liked about it was, again, just maturity in the in his game. I think when you're a striker, you know what sort of balls you want to come into the box. So he almost had the reverse psychology here to say, if I was in the middle, what sort of ball would I want? So great maturity by Cavani and a good finish by Bruno. But i got to say, shambolic defending by Southampton. Like, no one was in, a, like, two feet of Bruno. Um, when he took the opportunity, so nonetheless, not complaining. No, definitely, and like, like I said previous times on this podcast, as soon as that goal goes in, it was almost a no-brainer for me. I said, okay, we're winning this 3-2, I'm just looking forward to see how we're going to do it. And it obviously did come with Cavani double, and very similar goals, and it's just, 
I, I seen. I remember the day we signed Cavani. Go back to the transfer deadline day. Falcao was trending for all the wrong reasons. It was okay. This is going to be another Falcao. But this is exactly the type of thing we thought we were going to get with Falcao in terms of that striker's instinct. Like we've seen Martial maybe once or twice a season show that desire to sort of just put his head in where it's going to hurt or just have that desire to get in front of his man. Who's the last real striker? Well, we've had Rooney's a great goal scorer, but you wouldn't class him as an out-and-out, someone who lives and breathes goals. There's been Ibrahimovic, but he was a different different type of striker. You'd have to go back to, I don't know who. Be Van Persie. Van, Van Persie's a good shout. I was thinking the other Dutchman, maybe Van Nistroy, but that's probably too far back. I'm sure there have been um, great strikers. Berbatov. Yeah, but, but, but this one, if you look at both the goals, we'll start on the first one. When the ball gets shifted from Fred to Bruno Fernandes, Cavani starts outside the post and he's realising, well, I'm no, I'm no good here. So he just makes just a one-metre run just to get inside the post just in case Bruno's shot is directed towards him. And that one-metre sort of little dart before Bruno strikes the ball proves all the difference because the ball eventually does come to him and he reacts fantastic. And while it is sort of just a reaction, it's a, it's a clever reaction. He does direct the ball goal-bound. Yeah, 100%. Um, but again, like the... Was it Fred who provided the pass to... Yeah, to Bruno. To Bruno? And, and that's the thing. Like, for all the criticism we, we've been giving, like, we gave Fred in the first half, and rightfully so, he's had a number of these where he's the, he's the key pass before the assist. Mm. Um, so I just... Well, yes, I want to give the praise to Cavani here. I just want to give some credit to Fred because his work rate is phenomenal. And where he is showing intelligence, or at least a good instinct for the game is, he's knowing where to put himself, particularly high up the pitch when we are trying to press. So I just thought to give some credit to Fred there. But yeah, look, brilliant play all round. And we'll go on to the winner, which from a finish point of view is very similar for Cavani. But I just want to touch on almost the worst place you can get a free kick, an attacking free kick, is where we had that free kick in injury time. About 40 metres out, Pretty much dead central. You can't do anything. You can't. It's too far to shoot, and it's not a great position to cross the ball. You can't get any angle. However, in the ninety second minute or ninety third minute, wherever, whenever it was, I wouldn't have criti- I would have. I wouldn't have liked it, but I wouldn't have held it against Bruno to almost panic and just get the ball in the area from that angle. And it probably wouldn't have come to anything, and it would have been a two two draw. But he shows such intelligence by shifting the ball out wide to Rashford and creating that angle for something to happen. And when the ball does go to Rashford, I don't think many people picked up on this, and I'm not saying this is the reason for the goal, but if you watch Harry Maguire, Harry Maguire's on the side of the box where Rashford is, and he just steps across the fullback and just put the slightest ever body check, just a little bit of a body check on the fullback, just to give Marcus Rashford another second, maybe another second and a half, a little bit more time to get his head up, get the ball out of his feet, and um, get the cross in. So it was fantastic um, sort of awareness by Maguire to sort of free up that space for Rashford. And we've criticised Rashford's final ball in the past. He, he had a few chances where um, he made the wrong decision in the final third in this game. But this time, great cross. And again, I talked about that sort of one-metre movement by Cavani. Exactly the same thing here. When Rashford gets the ball out of his feet, you just watch Cavani on the side of your screen. Just a little dart in between two defenders. Sees if the ball goes in here, this is my goal. Thankfully, the ball did go there. And when the ball goes there and Cavani's on it, it's a goal. Yeah, oh, I mean, everything... Like, where do you start with this goal? Firstly, the ball by Rashford, excellent. Because two years ago, he's not doing that ball. And we saw this evolution in Rashford's game toward the 
return to football um, from the lockdowns um, in July, where he was almost playing that playmaker role out wide, and we saw that uh, today. Um, so fantastic ball by Rashford, but yeah, Cavani, Tom, like honestly. And look, Martial's my favourite player, you know that, but today you saw, and I have to admit this, today you saw what a true number nine, a genuine number nine can do. And I unfortunately, I don't think that that's something that can be taught and it's something that obviously we'll look at as the weeks go on. But to, like number nine just has, it's a dark art. You'd really need to master the role. And I think the way Cavani finished, it's just putting your head in somewhere where, you know, a goalkeeper could come, a defender could knock your head out with his hip. But Cavani's not afraid to put his head anywhere in that box. And he's got the instincts for it. And what a header. Fantastic finish. It, I think it just comes down to that word you just used there, just an instinct. I urge all the listeners, go back and watch the goals, which I'm sure you will. Everyone loves watching goals after a dramatic win. But just watch his movement just, just before Bruno strikes the ball and just before Rashford plays the cross. He's standing still and just just a one-metre one meter dart. And it just makes all the difference and frees the space up. And look, you do have to give him credit for the actual finish as well to sort of... Ball's coming quite quickly at him, having to redirect it goalwards. Um, two very good finishes as well. Now, before we move on to three, two, ones, Cavani obviously is the hero. Um, could very well become from hero to zero. Um, we're not going to touch on it too much because we need all the full details to come out, and we're not. We're definitely not experts um, in the language over there. But he has put his uh, foot in it a little bit in regards to an Instagram post. I think it was a friend, either a fan or a friend. I'm led to believe it's a friend sent him a message saying, like, with a photo saying, great goal, blah, blah, blah. And he has replied saying, um, grazie, so thank you, Negrito. And this is obviously the term that was sort of infamously used in the Suarez and Evra debacle all those years ago. And look, again, we're not going to go into it too deeply because we're not experts in the language and we're going to need the sort of all the details and Cavani side of the story to come out. But I remember at the time, when um, Suarez did use that term towards Evra. A lot of South Americans did come out and say, well, to be honest, it sometimes is used in a sort of friendly context. If the people know each other, that is a term that does cause no offence. However, in a certain situation, it can be used as an insult, most definitely, which obviously Suarez was using towards Evra in an insulting way. Now, I'm sure Cavani hasn't used this as as an insult, however... The debate is obviously up in the air and I have a feeling, I'll get your thoughts on it, but I have a feeling they're going to come down on Cavani here and I can see a ban coming and unfortunately I think it could be a lengthy ban. Look, I have an opinion on it. I, it is a, I totally understand and I know that racism is high and my issue so much isn't with... Because look, yes, I think if that word is what we interpret it to be, yes, it is derogatory. However, if Cavani has that level of relationship with his friend where maybe they agree that that's humorous or his friend accepts that term, that might be something that they agree with. If that's the case, I'm fine with it. But I can understand why people would be offended. The mistake Cavani has made here is obviously posting it on a public forum. We saw something similar with Bernardo Silva and Benjamin Mendy um, at uh, Man City where... There was clear hum- a clear banter between the two, but things that were quite had racist notations and to the general public. So, look, I think you're right. Unfortunately, I think he will have 
um, he will be an example case and he will be made an example out of. It's a big name. It's a Manchester United player to add on top of all of that. But look, unfortunately, it's it's stupidity. It's stupidity by Cavani. I'm not defending the actions. Um, like I said, I think if it's a friendly context, fine. But you have to be smart, especially in this day and age, considering what's happened in Europe and the US over the last few months. Stupid thing, stupid thing to do. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and you look at the Suarez one who ended up getting eight games. I don't think it'll be that for Gavani, but from memory, Bernardo Silva did get quite a... I think he got a, quite a lengthy ban, or at least a, sort of quite a punishment. He might have been fined, I forget. Obviously, our listeners would probably know. But unfortunately, I do think that he's going to be the end of Cavani for a couple of games, in, at least in the Premier League. Um, but time will tell. And again, um, we're going to wait for all the information to come out and his side and, um, yeah, more to come on that. But we'll move on to, we'll go back into the positives. The three two ones again, a good time to do three two ones. We don't have to scrape to the bottom of the barrel looking for points. Um, actually, we'll just stay on Cavani. It's obviously three points, yes, for Cavani? Oh, without, without doubt. Okay. Um, look, man of the match. Yeah, no, definitely. Hand in yeah. every goal. Three goal involvements, um, the two goals, two winners. And he's almost becoming, well, I just mentioned that term there, hero to zero. Do you think Cavani is almost, and it's got, you might need fans in the ground for it to sort of really catch fire, but do you think he's almost got the potential really to become a cult hero? I think he does, yeah. Um, we saw it with Zlatan. In such a small time, he was really loved by the United fans. Look, no doubt about it. An element of that is the ego of Zlatan, and I think every football fan loves that. But if you look at Cavani's contribution, um, when he has been given game time, like his goal return's fantastic. And even midweek, very good. Um, got the goal against Everton. So, hey, he's, he's doing really well. Can I say, Tom, look, an opportunity to take a dig at Arsenal here. I can't avoid it. Cavani has more Premier League goals than Arsenal did this month. How's that? <laughs> well, if, if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a PE teacher, what's Arteta? Well, <laughs> he's one fine PE teacher because we're getting some good results. I don't know. What are you if like, he can... I don't know. I'm trying to think back. So he plays like a geography teacher, like being put in charge of a music lesson or something. Just... He's absolutely got no idea what's happening. Hey, Tom, you're a PE teacher. Who knows? Maybe you'll be the next Manchester United manager. Well, after my performance for the supporters club, I think maybe I could be. 6-3 winning against Manchester City, a goal. I think I didn't get an assist, but I'll claim an assist or two. But we will go on to 3-2-1s, and I think one of George has put in, um, I saw in his comments, he put in his 3-2-1s for the supporters club game as well. I'll see if I'll get a mention there. But okay, obviously Cavani for three points. Now, two... Someone we haven't mentioned on the pod- podcast yet, but I thought he was near faultless. I thought Donny Vanderbeek. No, I 100% agree. I thought he was fantastic. Some of the balls he was putting in, particularly for Rashford, were world-class, like very Carrick-esque. Um, long balls, kept possession well. He, I don't want to go too soon, but I want to get your opinion. Is he reminding you of Carrick maybe in his younger years? I see... I see a lot of similarity just in the, his temperament, the way he keeps the ball, but he's also got that ability to just slice a ball forward. He's got the vision, um, maybe defensively not as sharp as Carrick, but he's just a very similar mould to what Carrick was maybe in that, you know, uh, 07 08 season. I'd say, look, I can see where you come from. Me personally, I wouldn't. I'd say definitely in terms of intelligence and quality, definitely on par with someone like Michael Carrick. I think there is a far more. And Michael Carrick's game did change in his later years, but in, in, so when he was at West Ham, Tottenham, maybe his first season or two at United, he definitely was more attacking. 
But I think Donny van der Beek is definitely uh, far more sort of intent on going forward and sort of in that final third where Michael Carrick was always... He was never more than a centre midfielder. He was a centre midfielder or a six. He was never that number 10. So I think Donny van der Beek, just, just that little bit bit of a different style but there was sometimes the ball went into Donny van der Beek and I just thought that wherever he was picking up the ball I was thinking oh god he's going to lose it there he's got no option or two defenders are closing him down from a certain angle I'm thinking oh god he's going to lose this ball he gets a touch and plays one touch pass out and he said jeez how did he get out of that and suddenly United are on attack and I just thought it was fantastic I thought again when he puts on a red shirt or obviously a black shirt today He's near faultless. He doesn't make any mistakes. And sadly, I was we're just speaking about Cavani's Instagram post. Donny van der Beek put up an Instagram post and his ankle has swollen up like a balloon. So unfortunately, we'll have to wait for Solskjaer's comments. He might be out and it might be out for a while. Oh, mate, I really hope not. But yeah, that ankle did not look good. Um, I imagine at least a week out. Um, hopefully nothing serious, but... Uh, to give one more bit, bit of credit to the Dutchman here, what we spoke about with Fred in the first half, Ian, you know, having that football intelligence, Van der Beek, complete opposite. You can see he thinks about the game deeply. Um, even He's always thinking, even what position he occupies on the pitch, he's well aware of what's around him, like a, a genuine midfielder should do. So um, credit to the Dutchman. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, no, completely agree. Now, one point might be bit splitty. I think the guy I'm going to mention will probably be different to you, so I'll give you the floor and uh, might be a bit of a debate for one point. Oh, this is actually a difficult one. I actually want to say Harry Maguire. Is that um, is that left field? I actually thought he played a really good game today. I thought the two defenders, they're not in my three two ones, but I did think the two defenders um, and probably, probably across the back four as well, Tellers and Wambasaka, I thought were good sort of six, seven out of ten performances. And I'd put that alongside the centre-backs as well. I thought they did come in for a lot of criticism, but I think that's just people trying to find someone to blame because we're 2-0 down. They're saying, oh, we're 2-0 down, we can't defend as usual. However, I don't think... The, look, we can talk about the zonal marking from that corner. At the end of the, end of the day, if Alex Tellez is whipping that corner in and we score, we're saying, what a fantastic delivery. James Ward-Prowse has a fantastic delivery. This is a great cross. It's a goal. That's going to happen on set pieces sometimes. So I'm not really going to fault Maguire or Lindelof too much. I thought their performances were, yeah, good. Just a shame we did concede the two goals. But for me, I'll be going 10 yards forward and saying Nemanja Matic. I thought, because I did criticise Fred quite a bit in terms of his intelligence, I thought Matic's composure in that second half and willingness to get the ball off sort of um, Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof in that space in between the two centre-backs, I thought he was, obviously Cavani was the key, but I don't think we had that second half without Matic. I think that's a great shout, um, and I I can't disagree with you there. I think he just provided that composure in the midfield, um, kept possession really well in the second half. I thought the second half wasn't fantastic, but he the game just sort of passed him by, whereas, yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying. The second half influence from Matic definitely lays the platform for what happens in front of him, so happy to give the Serbian the one point. I'll tell you what, just one thing, it just came to mind, I just want to touch on Matic. And I've ne- never used this as a criticism of him before, and I, ne- I didn't want to label anything bad towards him. But when he came to United, I thought, OK, he came to United because he knew Jose Mourinho. He can get a big contract, he can move to a big club. I thought, OK, good move. Thought nothing of it. But I thought, it's not like a young player coming to sort of really progress his career or a player coming because he loves Man United. So it didn't have that, OK, I want to fall in love with Matic in two, three years' time, he'll be a hero sort of thing. But I have seen this year, and almost since he, since Solskjaer came in, he also had those one or two sort of tricky months under Solskjaer. 
But ever since, he's almost taken on a real leadership role and you can see he has a sort of a fight and desire for United. We, we look at players like Fred and McTominay and Bruno who are so tenacious and they, they look so active on the field in terms of that they're always running around, they're clipping players' heels, they're yelling, they're shouting and they look like the ones who sort of so-called care. And, and of course they do. But we look at some of the slower players like a Matic and we think, oh, are they putting the effort in? Do they really care? But I've seen some of the stuff Matic does and it might be little things. They might be goal celebrations, for example. You can see Matic, he cares for this club, I think. And I, I just want, want to point that out because... I wouldn't say I've never criticised him for it, but it's never really stood out for me. But the last couple of weeks, I've really seen a desire and fight from Nemanja Matic, which it's very pleasing to see. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think particularly toward the halfway point last season, he you could put money on it. You could put your house on it. He was leaving United. Got his opportunity, never made a fuss, um, carried himself professionally. You didn't hear any leaks out of the dressing room saying you know, he was speaking badly of Solskjaer or anything like that. He put his head down, he got his opportunity, and he's made he's made a fist of it. And um, yeah, I'm with you. I think he's he's very passionate about United. I think he's just one of those players who's come in and understood, you know, it is a prestigious club. So credit to him. Um, and look, his performances, he's playing well. I think what Solskjaer's done in terms of managing him has been very good um, to say, you know, he's brought him out, hasn't played him towards, you know, we saw toward the back end of last season, ran him into the ground. He's managing his age very well as well. So a bit of credit for Solskjaer there. Yeah, no, definitely. Now we'll quickly go on to the social media comments. Uh, this week everyone's 3-2-1s. George goes 3 for Van der Beek, 2 for Cavani and 1 for Matic as well. And George was also the goalkeeper for the Supporters Club on Saturday and he's given his 3-2-1s for the Supporters Club. Um, Fergal for 3 points obviously after the 4 goals. But two of the defenders, both Chris and Luke, two points and one point respectively. I think George is probably unlucky there himself. I don't think he wants to do it himself, but um, as goalkeeper, he did concede three goals, but it could have been a lot more, so George would be unlucky not to get a point or two there. Um, Emma, the secretary of the supporters club, goes three for Cavani, two for Fred, and one for Fernandez. Cavani sub made the difference. Fernandez scored and set up another. Fred was good throughout, but Matic and Donny van der Beek deserve a mention as well. They also put in a good shift in the middle. Uh, Robert on Facebook also said three for Cavani, two for van der Beek and one for Fred. They much needed three points with others dropping points. Nice start to the week, especially with a win, especially when the supporters club end, ended it with a win in the derby. Ian from Perth said three for Cavani, two for Donny van der Beek and for one point hard to allocate as Bruno was a workhorse, but I felt not his best position in quality. Maguire and Lindelof actually running a tight ship, which you just mentioned before, and Matic solid defensively with some nice attacking pressure and fancy ball work. Um, Adam from Man United Supporters Club said three for Cavani, two for Donny van der Beek, and one for Matic as well. And Adrian, who also played in the game on Saturday, three for Cavani, two for Donny van der Beek, and one for Fred. Also says credit to Matic and Bruno, who both put in pretty strong performances. And on Twitter, Ahmad says three for El Matador, two for the bake, and one for the fridge. I'm sure we know exactly who he's mentioning um, for all of those. And also says Ward Prowse, as dangerous he is from set piece, it was nothing like a Tom Simpson screamer. So he's obviously seen footage of my fantastic free kick. I just might as well get your thoughts on my free kick again, Larry, on Saturday. Look, it was good technique, but I've got to say, questionable goalkeeping, with all due respect. <laughs> it was. And, um, yeah, you don't, don't, don't need to mention the goalkeeping. Um, not at all. It was a fantastic free kick. Now, before we move <laughs> on, and just before we wrap up the podcast, 
we've joked about it in the past, but I'm looking at the table now, and we win our game in hand, albeit it's not for a few months, I don't think. We're two points off the top of the table. And now, I'm just thinking, we'll get into podcasting in the future in regards to are we in a title race or could we possibly win the title? I don't think that's a discussion to be had now. But what needs to be done? Would it be in terms of putting up a title challenge? Is it Cavani starting and Cavani scoring 25 goals? Is it finding consistency in, in a midfield selection and always having the same three? Is it signing a defender in January? What do you, if, if there's one thing to sort of solidify United's chances at the top, top of the table, what would United need to do um, going forward in January, do you think? That's difficult because um, a lot of those things I could make a case for almost all of them. If you told me there's one thing, I think Solskjaer needs to just find consistency in the lineup. He needs to decide, is my strongest lineup with Cavani as the centre forward? Is it with Martial as the centre forward? And if it's Cavani, what's my most... like? Look, there's going to be flexibility to accommodate the team we're versing and understand that. But if, he needs to decide what's his most settled eleven. I think we United's best runs last season came when Solskjaer... We knew um, in that second half or, you know, when football returned from the lockdown, United's more or less best eleven. And I don't think we know that at this point. So I'd like to see Solskjaer just make a decision on that front and say, okay, for a default or when we are, you know, when we're playing at home to West Bromwich Albion, this is the team that we all know as fans he's going to go with. Because I think if you can provide that consistency, those players get a regular rhythm of playing together. And that's the key. I think United are now starting to put good results together. So I think if we can do that, it ticks all the boxes. The obvious one, Tom, is obviously dip into the transfer market, get a right winger, um, get, get us another centre-half. But, look, we've got the young kid from um, Italy coming over. I don't think he'll be playing a lot of football. But, yeah, I think that's really the main focus. Um, how would you approach it? Yeah, I think it's hard. Look, one, you need luck. You, we'll need other teams to not have luck. We'd, have, we'd need teams like Chelsea and Tottenham and Liverpool, Manchester City would have... To, would need them to be poor and us to be sort of to do well. I think for me it is bringing a new player in. Whether that be that right wing, it's obviously not going to be a Jaden Sancho, but just something to freshen it up. And you do need to sort of keep that consistency, as you mentioned. However, it is such a unique season. You do can't. I know you're not. I know you're not sort of saying this, but you can't keep picking the same eleven in this season because it's just not going to work. We're still in the League Cup. We've got the FA Cup to come. Hopefully we're in the Champions League, the latter stages. Worst case scenario, we're even going to be in the Europa League, which will be even worse, even more games, or not more games, but sort of harder travel and a, a harder fixture pile-up. Um, Premier League fixtures aren't going to s- stop. So I, I think it's hard. It, it just needs that fresh twist. And whether that comes in January, whether that comes with Paul Pogba almost regaining fitness and sort of becoming a sort of so-called new signing, um, I'm not so sure. But it just needs something fresh, I think, just to give a little bit of a... Not that we need a boost, but I think if we were to look at a title, we're definitely going to need that added boost. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely talk about Title 21 um, next week. When we, who we got next week, West Ham? Yep, West Ham. But you just mentioned it's, you just mentioned there, and just to wrap up the podcast now, uh, finding that consistency in team selection. I completely agree. However, this week I think you throw that completely out the window because we've got one of the most unique challenges in football again in PSG. I think he reverts straight back to the three at the back for this one. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. Like, obvious... And that's what I was saying. Like, yes, you go 
I just mean it in a sense of for most of most of the time teams are going to sit back against us. So he needs to know his default for that. But I'm totally with you. I think for PSG, we saw what we did so well. Um, and look, regardless if the game is at home or not, that's class opposition. And what what I will throw back to you is, we haven't seen two and Zabi. Is he fit for this match, number one? And two, if he is, do you put him straight back in? Look, I love Axel two and Zabi. Yeah, I'll throw him in because we've seen what you can do when you throw him in against PSG out of nowhere. He can, before, he can be man of the match. He can be the best player on the pitch. So yes, 100%, I throw him in. The question is, is he fit? I have no idea. Uh, to be honest, I absolutely love him, but I put him in the Phil Jones and Eric Bailly category at the moment because I just don't know what to expect. I, I pray to God that he is fit. Um, it just, unfortunately, I, I can't rely on him at the moment. That's through no fault of his own. If it's if it's through injury, it's just unfortunate and, and uh, sort of unlucky, but it's just a hard situation to sort of to grasp at the moment. You don't quite know what is happening. Yeah. I'm with you, but yeah, it's a weird one. We haven't really heard too much about Tuan Zabi the last few weeks, but do you think as well, um, well assuming Martial's fit, um, do you think he comes straight back into this lineup? Because the new thing that's going to pop up out of this, obviously we've seen Rashford have an impact for that final goal, is what do you do with Martial? Do you think Cavani starts this game? Do you think, or do you in fact just put Martial up there and try and rest Cavani as much as possible yeah. maybe bring him on if you need a goal yeah no, I, I've no idea what way to look at it and Solskjaer will sort of live and die by his decision if we whatever decision he makes if we wins he'll make the right decision if it doesn't come off it will look to make the wrong decision I don't know what the right thing to do is um, time will tell unfortunately I think he might be forced into his hands as I mentioned as we mentioned earlier Cavani could very well be looking at a ban and if that ban carries over all competitions or maybe just the Premier League I'm not too sure, so that possibly force... OK, he'll play that competition, Martial will play that competition. I'm not quite sure. However, if Cavani is fit, I think, we, which, which we've alluded to, I think he is a... Whether he's a better number nine or better striker, I just think he's more suited to United performing well than Martial through the number nine position. I think I agree with you. Um, I think the where the interest will come is... Who do you play, whether it's, do you say, is it a Martial Rashford or is it a case of we play all of them, Rashford on the right, Martial on the left, much like we saw midweek. But look, good headaches for Solskjaer to have. Um, but in my opinion, and I know he hasn't performed amazingly this season, I think you have to find space for Martial. I think he's too classy to leave out. Yeah, no. Well, look, hopefully, hopefully he's just a little bit of a bug or something and he is fit, but um, time will tell what this illness that he missed the Southampton game was, but um, fingers crossed he's back fit soon. And moving on to the PSG game, because obviously the Southampton game this morning was a 1am Monday morning kickoff, which is always tricky for us Australian Reds, but the PSG game this Thursday in Sydney time is 7am, which is always, always a good time, especially we always love watching PSG in the morning, Man um, United, the last, time, the last two times they've been Rashford winners, so... Fingers crossed the same thing happens this Thursday morning. Um, we'll definitely tune in. We'll be back for the latest podcast on Thursday night, Australian time. Uh, making sure, as always, you're subscribed in your podcast app and you're following us on all your social medias. We truly appreciate the support. And it was great seeing you again, Larry, on the weekend. I just hope you're still icing up, keeping your fluids up. Um, you scared me a little when I did come into the change room and see you belly down. Yeah, don't worry, mate. Um, I've still got the ice pack on the back of the head, but if we have a game in, say, two months, I think I should recover by then. 
Okay, you're good to go in two months. So if I'm being honest with myself, though, I might need two years for my knees to recover. But um, time will tell. But again, thank you, everyone, for listening and chat to you again on Thursday. Cheers. Cheers.